RadioInfluence.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Live Bold and Boss Up Show. We're here with Ned Pope today. Ned is a great friend of mine, um, delivery leader at Agile Thought, board chair at On Bikes, executive board mem- member at Synapse, and also an independent musician, co-owner of the Artist Collective Wave Theory. Hey, Ned. Welcome. Morning, Steph. Morning, Ash. Good morning. How are y'all? Good. Good. Thanks for joining us today. Of course. So My pleasure. Ned... He's one of those people that never ceases to amaze me. He is involved in many, many things, has a family of two beautiful children, wife, very successful in the community, at work, and nonprofits, and I just don't know how you have time to do everything. So please help us. I'm sure. Help (laughs) us understand how how you organize all of that. That's impressive. Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad it looks impressive. It's more of a shit show from my point of view, uh, but you know we'll dive into that. It's a good good part of the conversation. So, how do you balance life, like family at home with work, and then all the extracurricular things that you do as well? Uh, so, I, I think it, it starts with a mutual understanding with your partner. Um, so, my wife Maris is is very aware of all of the things that I'm involved in. It was when we met in college; she was very aware of those things as well. So, it's kind of like not not a whole lot has changed, except for the circumstances and you know more demands, more responsibilities. So, I think that's the first thing is having that mutual understanding, um, having that conversation where you're you're kind of on the same page with that. Uh, it's always going to be a challenge, as with any relationship, like balancing priorities and things of that nature. But that's really the first step. Uh, second thing is getting a grasp on the children's schedule. So that is very difficult for folks that are listening to this that don't have kids yet. Oh, you don't have any idea <laughs> what go. you're in for. Uh, I know how clueless I was um, when when we had our daughter, who is nine now, Avery, and um and that it was sort of like, oh, okay. As the years progress, you you start to become more involved in their lives, and you start to understand the impact of your presence and involvement, not only in the things that they're working on their extracurricular activities and schooling stuff, but also the non glamorous behind the scenes work, um, like you know, helping them with homework, working with them on on various different. Like, so, as you mentioned, like I'm a singer, and my daughter is pursuing uh, performing arts and. So working with her through uh, through some of her practices and things of that nature, rehearsals and stuff at the house, and and it's a great experience. But it also, it does take up a lot of time and requires organization because you got to get that done before their bedtime, right? Right. Uh, and so I think that's the first thing is understanding what your home life is, uh, how much you really need to be involved with your kids in order for them to meet uh, their goals, and then also to reach that place of happiness where you're spending enough time with them. Where you don't feel like super clueless about what's going on right. with, with their life. So I think that's one of the key points. I know often I think I feel like that parent at school that like doesn't know what's going on sometimes, whether it's, you know, homework or oh, we have this event tonight or this is due or school's closed, which I've actually done before. Showed up to <laughs> school. Oh no. School. Hey, you're on it. You're uh, ready. But yeah, so I need to I need to um 
you know, learn some some tips from you on how to how do you stay organized and how do you keep track of all that stuff? Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, so one of the tips that you just made me think of there was sign up for text message alerts for everything. If you were just on the email list, you won't get it. No. Like uh, a perfect example is stuff with the school. I mean, they send, you know, very comprehensive. Both of my kids are at Mitchell Elementary and we love it there. Um, but they send comprehensive updates about everything that's going on or upcoming things. And they're great, but it's like it's in a sea of emails on my personal email account, which I, uh, you know, I think most of us, 90% of our days are spent in our work emails uh, for, for that type of coordination and communication. So, so that's the first thing that I always try to do is sign up for text messages. Yes, it can get annoying if there's an overabundance of communication, but at least I see it and I'm going to check it every time. So anytime that I need to be alerted by something external, I sign up for text message alerts. Mm -hmm. I I have no problem with people having my number. I can block them in a millisecond if they start to get annoying or otherwise. So that's that's one piece. Um, uh, On the overall organization thing, I think it's just a matter of really sitting down and looking at your calendar a lot. And what I try to do is I try to kind of sketch out different notes and play with different configurations of the time that I have available because it gives you a firm sense of how much time you actually have to do things. For example, I uh, sometimes play basketball at six in the morning to make sure that I get my workout. And, and I'm fortunate to have a group of friends that goes and plays and is pretty competitive uh, a few days a week in, in, at that time. But the challenge is it becomes a, a snowball effect of how your week is going. Because if on Monday – you stayed up to work on something or you were out later at an event or something like that, or you're just, you know, watching a movie or a show with a spouse because you're just like exhausted and you want to decompress, whatever the, the lateness of you getting to bed affects the next morning and then your next morning wake up. So, uh, we would play on Tuesdays. And, and so if I got up at 5am or 515 to try and play basketball on Tuesday, then that means I probably got four hours or less of sleep between Monday and Tuesday. And then it cascades into the next day. Well, then I know Wednesday I'm not going to make it up at 6 a.m. And I probably am not going to recover those hours either. So it's like I think the first thing, and this is something I'm still struggling with, is trying to figure out, okay, how much time do I have between the kids going to sleep and me going to sleep? Because if you're not getting at least six or seven hours, you're going to be completely worthless. Totally. I'm shaking my head over here. Like yeah, because it's just like we all like, experience yes, that, right? I agree. Yes. So, so I think that that's the first key is, is looking at your sleep schedule. That was That's probably the first thing you need to do. And that's that's bedtime and wake up and how that affects the time that you have to actually be active on things. Um, but this is this is all super important. I, I, remember, um, I remember several years ago. Uh, I think I was maybe still in college or just out of college. I don't remember the exact timing, but I, I don't think I was married yet uh, and hadn't had kids, but was just trying to figure out how to balance everything kind of post-college, all the pursuits. Right. And I remember watching a football game between Stanford and uh, I believe it was Notre Dame. And they had a player named Toby Gerhardt, who was a Heisman trophy finalist. He was an all, all American on their baseball team. And he was also a candidate for a Rhodes scholarship. Wow. And at Stanford, no less. So heavy, you know, academic expectations just to, to be in school there, much less excel the way that he did. And uh, 
The reporter undoubtedly was expecting this long-winded, articulate answer from Toby right after the game when you know Stanford had won, and she went up and she said, "You know, Toby, how do you, how do you do it?" She mentioned all the same things I did. You know, how do you balance this? And he just looked at her stone cold. And he's like, "Time management." <laughs> <laughs> and then he was just very quiet. Love it. And it's Simple. funny and it was succinct, but it, it resonated <laughs> with me. Obviously, it stuck with me because it was just like, wow, it really is. That simple. You can't just look at time as some non-renewable construct that just goes on and you're sort of riding the wave. You have to take that approach that you need to manage it. Right. Um, so the, I think the sleep schedules is the, the first thing you start with once you have a visual of, of how many blocks of time you actually have. Um, Do your kids actually go to bed when you tell them it's never, bedtime? <laughs> no. The bedtime process is a, a complete, you know, back to this term again, a complete shit show in our house. <laughs> Uh, Maris yeah. and I have a lot of ideas and uh, a lot of quote unquote <laughs> rules that we put in place. But the challenge of it is too, is that it's not just getting them to follow direction. It's that you get home from work and then you sit down for dinner and you just want to chill for a minute and talk and be like, what was up with the day? And then the kids are running, oh, mm-hmm. and they want to hang out and, you know, look at this thing I did at school or Miles always wants to show me his Lego stuff, which is awesome. And, and Avery's got some, you know, cool shows she's watching or something she's drawn or whatever. And so just engaging with them mm-hmm. and then getting them into the homework process, reading and all of those things. And just it, it's like these little mini time blocks just stack up. And then the next thing you know, it's 930 right. and their teeth still aren't brushed and they're not in their bedroom. And you're just like, what just happened? Right. <laughs> and this godforsaken Daylight savings time has just ruined all of the hard work right. leading up to this They're point. Like, it's like, still sunny out. I'm not going to bed. <laughs> yeah. And we're the same way. Like I, I gauge it by, you know, the light coming in through the window. Right. So I'm not like looking at my phone or the clock completely. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's 830. Like, <laughs> holy crap. We've done nothing. Right. So um, so I think that's part of it. So the, the yeah, getting the kids to bed and then finding a way for you to decompress before you go to sleep. So you don't feel like you're on that hamster wheel. That's right. the worst part. Like when you feel like you're on the hamster wheel, like you've lost control of it. Right. You've committed to so many things that now they are driving the bus, these commitments and the responsibility to all these things. That's when you got to step back and reset. And I've had to do that several times and I probably will, will continue to have to do that um, uh, more so over the years. So, uh, so I think that that's the first step in the process is, is understanding how that nighttime routine works, making sure you can get enough sleep and then organizing it from there. Um, and looking at those those blocks of time that you might have available to engage in things. So I'm interested because, you know, the whole buzzword about time, you know, work-life balance, right? Everyone's talking about that. Is there a work-life balance? What do you think about it? So let me lob that softball up to you. I mean, do you, do you think there's such thing as work-life balance? What do you think about that term? Yeah, I, I think there is. Um, I think it's a little monolithic in that uh, my mom was a big inspiration to me growing up. She was the ambitious one in our household. My my pops is in the military. He was more like the, you know, had the stability and sort of the foundation of our family. And my mom was out there chasing opportunities and she's a journalist. So she's chasing news stories and she's out super late at night sometimes. And she had a commute into downtown Jacksonville every single day. Uh, from where I grew up, which was St. Augustine Beach. So there was like a commute time attached to every day for her and, and the areas that she was covering, right? So 
so part of that was kind of watching how she moved and how she operated and all of the cool opportunities that she created and, and that I observed. And, and I know a lot of that has obviously rubbed off on me. I think it's easier to conceptualize work-life balance if, if you look at it as two separate things. But I don't think I've ever been able to do that. I think it's just life. Mm-hmm. But there's no work-life balance to me. There's just making – like just life, making life work. For example, whenever there was a community organization or a nonprofit or something like that in our hometown that was in a circumstance where they were lacking in leadership or in a transitionary period or whatever, my mom was always the one to step up. Like she stepped up and was the pack leader of my Boy Scout troop. That's so cool. When they had, uh, I believe the, the scout leader had some health issues and had to step down. And so, and, and I I don't know how it has been recently, but I know that, you know, back in the eighties and such, like there weren't female Boy Scout leaders in large abundance. And, and my mom had tons of responsibilities and she stepped in and did that and went on the camping trips and dealt with all the mosquitoes and the, you know, the, the poorly spun up showers and all of those (laughs) things that like used to aggravate the hell out of her. But she like, she dealt with that. Right. And so, so that was really cool. And that was, uh, she probably didn't even think about it. It was pretty inspiring to me. So uh, I saw that. I saw her propensity to want to always step up and take on those leadership roles. And so philanthropy and community activity being a piece of the whole work-life balance or just life in general, Mm -hmm. it was never considered optional to me. It wasn't something that I did when I had extra time. It was a responsibility that I had to work into the entire formula. Um, and you know, fortunately, if, if you do it the right way and you, again, are not letting your responsibilities or commitments drive the bus, which, which we all have happen from time to time, um, you, you can pick and choose the organizations that you want to be involved in that you're passionate about. And I've been, I've been fortunate and here in Tampa to be involved in on bikes and some other organizations. And I know we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about the community activities later, but I think that's a piece of it is, um, understanding that it's not necessarily a work work life balance. It's just a quality of life overall. Like just, what do you want your quality of life to be? Uh, if you're not spending time with your kids and you're not in a good situation with your spouse and you're not feeling somewhat fulfilled at your job, uh, and you don't have an impact on your community and you don't have some other outlet, your, your physical health, creative outlet, some way to manage all of the stress that bubbles up from all of these things then you're going to have a low quality of life. And it might look like to others that you have a great quality of life because you're involved in a lot of things or maybe your financial situation is stable or whatever. Uh, but there's, I always come back to that thing where, we, you know, things come up in the news where, where things happen to celebrities, right? And, and, and there's, there are tragedies relating to that. And you always say like, oh my God, I couldn't even imagine. Like things look like they were going so great for that person. Right. There's always something. Like everybody's got something that they're dealing with mentally or emotionally that most folks aren't aware of and finding a way to have an outlet for that and, and a process to deal with that, uh, I think is absolutely crucial. Right. I do mm-hmm. think it's more of a work-life integration, like integrating the two really. I love that. Like yeah. Having them. So do you feel like you are able to give a hundred percent to all of the things that you are involved in? No, I don't think that's realistic. <laughs> Um, I, I think that's another uh, another gray area that we deal with. I mean, my goal is always to make sure because because of the time that you have to divide up, um, 
my goal has always been to practice efficiency to the, the whole concept of working smarter and harder I, or, or, or harder. Like it's like it's a choice. I feel like you have to do both. You have to work smarter and harder. Um, and what I mean by that is working smarter by being more efficient with the time you're spending and working harder by taking a laser like focus on the priorities. Prioritization is critical mm -hmm. because especially with the things that you enjoy doing versus the things that you know you need to do, but you don't necessarily enjoy them. We all will always shift towards the stuff that we naturally enjoy more right. so and we keep putting the other more mundane things down the list. Uh, but those are often the foundational sort of technical building blocks to whatever you're trying to accomplish if it's a project or whatever um, administrative tasks kind of fall into this category. Those things will start to get out of hand and they'll start to affect your ability to execute on the stuff you want to be involved in if you don't pay the proper attention to them up front. So, um, so that's – that's kind of the concept that I see. But when it comes to 100%, my goal is always to make like my 50 or 60% better than most people's 100%. Right. And you have to do that by being meticulous about the detail, by prioritizing, and not putting time and energy into things that aren't driving towards the overall goal. Right. Um, you got to – the other thing is, and this is a pet peeve of mine, I always hear this this – Talk about like self-made this and self-made that. I hate that. Nobody's self-made. Like, just stop. Just <laughs> shut up. For real. Like, nobody believes you. You're, you're, you're aggrandizing yourself when you say that. Mm. Everybody got an opportunity from someone else who saw potential in them, got an investment from someone, had family support at somewhere, had people guiding them or mentoring them to help them avoid the type yeah. of mistakes that maybe those individuals made in their lives. Nobody just says, oh, I, I went out and I pitched to investors on a great creative idea and I sold all of them and they invested all this money in my projects and I played every single role in my, in my endeavor, in my business at the early stage right. and did it all myself. Like, shut up, dude. Right. Like, you're, you're making yourself look like an ass when you say that. Um, so I think having quality people around you who have good work ethic, who have a unified goal is absolutely vital. It's integral to the whole thing. Um, and then holding yourself to a higher standard, like putting yourself in the shoes of someone that you need support from to take your initiative to the next level, like really sitting down and saying, okay, what would I want to see if somebody was coming and asking for my hard earned money, money or asking me to play a role in this, that's going to require a lot of time and energy or ideas and intellectual property that I have that maybe they wouldn't be able to access otherwise. Like what, what's the criteria for evaluation that I would use to say that this is legitimate and worth my time? So, uh, so I think those things are all important. You, you, there's a certain amount of like uh, self-reflection and humility that's required in order to get anything accomplished. Because if you think that you're just so great that you can just show up and everything's going to fall into place, mm -hmm. if that in fact has ever happened in someone's life, it's, it, it was lucky. It was fortunate. It wasn't the norm. It was an anomaly. Yeah. So, yeah. 100%. So this is awesome. So I'm just kind of thinking through about what you said earlier. You know, you you get a great nighttime routine, right? You know, okay, if I'm not getting to bed by this time, I know I'm not going to be able to do basketball Wednesday morning because I'm not going to get enough sleep. It just kind of snowballs. So that's awesome. You know, making sure that you you have that nighttime routine down. Um 
Another thing is, you know, having good people around you, right? Like Maris, I'm sure, really supports you. Other people on your team really support you. You've got great energy going on, you know, making sure that you're just um, connecting with those right people that have a positive energy. I love that. I love those takeaways. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think it's cool. I love that you guys are doing this podcast too and and the way you're framing the questions and the discussion because like obviously I've had a lot of uh, female leaders that I've worked with over the years. The leadership at Nielsen when I was there for uh, just under four years, uh, was it was all females in on the technology okay. side. And uh, from Kim Anstead, who was the um, – the CTO all the way down to, uh, to middle management level where I was at. And, uh, it was just really great to see, really inspiring to see. I think I, I feel bad for folks who work in industries that don't have as much female leadership mm-hmm. because you got to get that balance. Like there's so much you can learn and there's, you become so much more of a well-rounded person. And I know that I'm not there yet, but I couldn't imagine like what kind of, you know, single sided doofus I'd be if <laughs> I didn't have all of these badass females in my life, like showing a different perspective. I love that. That's so. a quote right there. I am. I think we've had this com- same conversation or a similar conversation before. And I love that. I mean, you've always said that a lot of the people that have influenced you in your life has been these super strong, amazing women. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I mean, as a man saying that, I feel like that's, awesome. Yeah. I feel like, Oh, you know, whatever modicum of success someone might determine that I have achieved in my life, still not having accomplished all of my goals. Certainly. Um, I, I owe a lot of it, if not all of it, uh, to, to those female mentors, starting with my mom. So it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So how, how important it is, do you think to be involved in the community and, you know, just outside of work and that sort of stuff, you know, just being involved giving your time, how important is that to you? Super vital. Um, it's, uh, it's a necessary piece of life. Um, I couldn't imagine if I had ideas or thoughts or um, suggestions for connections and things of that nature, and I wasn't able to utilize those things to have an impact on the community and make others' lives better. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's like, what is it? What was the worth of everything that you're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, obviously we want to monetize and we want financial security because financial security leads to freedom and it leads to freedom of choice and the options that you can have to create a better quality of life for you and your family. So I'm not trying to shortchange that. Uh, but man, if you're somebody who's out there who, who knows that you've not only had people help you over time and go out of their way to do so when they didn't have to, mm-hmm. maybe it, it was against their better judgment to even help you. And they took, they went out on a limb and took a risk on somebody they thought had potential or something like that. Uh, I, I have to think that I've fallen into that category from time to time. But, um, but you also witness these people giving of their time and energy to make others lives better. And I, I immediately shift to, um, to kids because they don't have much control over their starting circumstance Mm -hmm. And uh, the the circumstances that they are born into, in some cases, without any kind of outside intervention, will lead to who they end up becoming as a human being. And they might have some traits that are not so great. And I think there's an unfortunate stereotype around uh, kids that, you know, are, are in lower income areas being the only ones that need assistance. I think you you need to 
live your life as an example for any kid that might be looking at you right. because there's some wealthy kid out there somewhere who doesn't get any attention from their parents mm -hmm. and is getting their life lessons from their friends at school or for things they see in the media. Mm -hmm. And they might be totally off track with, you know, the, the, the type of sensibility that they need to have moving forward with their lives. And so I think it's kind of, it's twofold. It's having a direct contribution, um, to, uh, to folks in your community that, you know, you can have an impact with in one way, shape or form, uh, and then it's also living by that example and being kind of the genuine article of if this is what you represent and, and this is how you feel about certain things that you should live your life that way and be the example that someone can look at. Cause you, you never know. We, we do this a lot in music uh, and we, we, we remind ourselves a lot this uh, of this a lot when it comes to performance in music, you never know pretty much every time I've ever performed, there was someone in the audience witnessing me sing or do my thing for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. And so you never want to mail in that performance because you never want to have somebody out there that didn't get the true reflection of your talent and what you were capable of. And their first impression was, oh, this lame couldn't even hit notes or was barely trying or just looked like they were bored on stage. You never want to have that. And I think the same thing uh, extrapolates out to other parts of your life. Like there's always somebody watching, meeting you, interacting with you, hearing a speaking engagement, hearing a podcast for the first time. And anytime that you try to feel comfortable with being disingenuous for whatever reason or not stepping out and making sure that folks know like who, who you really are and what you stand for uh, or even worse, like – you know, acquiescing to some form of group as opposed to being willing to stand on your own principles for the sake of being an individual. Um, th th those things are things you'll live to regret uh, because it, it, someone's witnessing it and someone's being impacted by it. Totally. So, like that mindset. So, yeah. So I think about that, but yeah, it's, um, it's a balance like anything else. Like we talked about, not necessarily work-life balance, but just life balance. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, the one thing about community efforts is if you commit to it and you will, you will inevitably get to inevitably get to a place where you're giving your volunteer time and uh, priorities get shuffled around and you let somebody down, you miss an assignment, you don't follow up on something you said you would do on your nonprofit board. And uh, if that feeling of disappointment from your peers who are also giving of their time and energy and the potential disappointment to the audience of people that you're working to serve doesn't really bother you. I mean, like eat at you that you let the, those things slip. Um, then you need to reassess mm -hmm. and you need to go find a mentor who's put time and energy into community work and find a way that you can contribute uh, in maybe another form. Because um, that's... I've let people down in all modicums of my life, all facets of my life over the years. And uh, it's always pretty telling uh, as to how much it really bothers you. Mm -hmm. Like if it really bothers me, then I know that like, okay, I, that's, I got to own this one and that sucks. If it doesn't really bother me, then chances are it was something I just committed to because I didn't know how to say no. And I didn't have enough passion for it to prioritize it. And, um, I'm doing them a disservice by acting like I'm passionate about it or interested in it or feel like I have enough time to be helpful 
when I really don't. Mm -hmm. And so that's more about that, that personal relationship. The things we always got to remind ourselves of, and I'm no psychologist or behavioral analyst for any stretch, but I try to read as much as I can to, to better myself, uh, if, if for no other reason or better understand my kids or my wife or other relationships, um, is that emotions are involuntary, right? Like me, me and my buddies used to always argue about, uh, Emotional intelligence. Yeah, emotional intelligence. <laughs> no, it's that's a real thing. Uh, and and we, I know a lot of folks like in y'all's area when you're interviewing candidates and, and working through the whole hiring process, that's a big deal. And um, I became enlightened to that concept probably more recently than I care to admit. Like I'm, I'm almost embarrassed that I hadn't thought more about like emotional intelligence as a concept uh, earlier stage in life, but. Um, but yeah, I used to argue with my friends a lot when we were kids about our favorite basketball players. Like I'm, I'm really into to basketball, and so are a lot of my close friends still. And it would be like, if you picked a team or you picked a player, you kind of had to rock with that person. And if you all of a sudden had a new favorite team, like you would get trashed on, like, ah, fair weather clown, you know, and all this stuff. But I'm reminded of that because I'm seeing my kids – like watching different sports and different movies and shows and listening to different types of music and, and certain types of artists appeal to them that maybe I didn't expect initially, or they like a certain team. Like, I mean, like there's not going to be any Gators in my house. Like, let's be real. I'm a, I'm a Seminole grad and uh, no offense. My mom's a Gator. We have, we have a fun little back and forth on Saturdays uh, in the fall. It hasn't been as fun for me. You late. are wearing Gator but, colors uh, right now. No, I'm not. This is, these are not Gator colors. This is not Gator blue. This is sky blue. And, uh, and yeah, every form of orange between, uh, Clemson, Miami and, and the Gators are just okay, horrible. Right, I shouldn't right. have any Noted. form of orange in my closet. I don't know what I was even <laughs> thinking. No, nah, I'm not going to, this is my man perceptions, uh, album <laughs> shirt. So I got to rock. I just make a better color choice next time. But, um, but anyhow, I noticed them like wanting to watch different teams and, and things of that nature and different players. And this is where the emotional intelligence kind of, I promise I'm getting back to the original point. I know I tangent, <laughs> but I'll, I'll just work my way back around to it comes into play because when you watch a player on a, on, in a sporting event, or you watch a performer at a, a concert or in a, a recorded show or a clip or something, you feel a certain way about that, what you're witnessing, whether you want to admit it, or not. You know, we talk a lot in music about people have these guilty pleasure. Like nobody wants to ever admit that's like an indie artist ever wants to admit that they liked a Taylor Swift song or that they like some pop radio song. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you're an artist, you appreciate melody, you appreciate storytelling, right. you appreciate vocal performance. And so, yeah, like there's plenty of Taylor Swift songs that are bad as hell. And I love them. <laughs> um, but it might not be my first choice, like when I get in the car, but I'm not going to you be a clown and be lame and just be like, oh, no, I don't like that because it's popular. Right. So so that's the thing um, about the the whole concept of of, of emotions being un, involuntary. You're going to like a certain player or a certain performer, whether you acknowledge it or admit to it is irrelevant. You're just that's going to be who you appeal to or like or that that person's performance or whatever appeals to you. And, and you want to seek out you want to watch the game. You want to purchase the music. You want to go to the go to the show and all that other stuff. So I think um, understanding how our emotions are involuntary and it, once you acknowledge that and grasp that, it'll help guide your path 
on where you want to put your time and energy more. Like I made a decision a few years ago because I was getting involved in a lot of things because I love people and I appreciate people. And I, I learn things from folks that have had a different background or different experience or different perspectives from me. And I gravitate towards folks who I really am inspired by and like see the way that they handle certain things and like, Oh, I want to be in this person's presence and, and be around them more or work with them on a project or something like that. Right. And, and I noticed myself doing that because of the people, not necessarily because of the cause or the item or the overall vision. And I've started to learn that that overall vision is vitally important because if you don't have a passion for that, you'll end up putting time and energy in just to not let down the people mm-hmm. that you want to work with and that you want to keep a you know, good relationship with as opposed to really being fired up about, about the, um, the cause. And so it's been easy for me to, to carve out time for things like on bikes and synapse because I believe in the cause and I have a very firm grasp on how my effort and energy can have an impact on the overall vision and the overall goal. And so now that I see that, it's like full speed ahead, right? You know, carving out, again, looking at the calendar, <laughs> making sure the sleep's good, understanding, you know, what the work day looks like for, for my main job at Agile Thought and spending time with the family and all that. And then, you know, start to put the little Tetris blocks in place where I know that I can contribute something significant. So um, maybe you can get those people that you love spending time with to do on bikes mm-hmm. or to come to synapse yes. and include them in your passion right. and what you do. So it's super funny you say that because uh, I'm, this is my second year as the chair of on bikes. And uh, my, my friend drew Weatherford who helps recruit me to the organization initially along with uh, Julius Tobin and light Townsend um, was six, seven years ago. Now it's crazy how, how long it's been. Um, but he, he sort of tapped me to be the, the next board chair following him. I finished out my first year on that. And then this second year will be my last year. And I'm going through a really interesting process of vetting, um, folks who I'm am able to nominate to join the board after I cycle mm-hmm. off or maybe like right before I cycle off. And that's a really cool piece of it is I can look at it and be like, okay, these 10 people would all be great board members. Mm-hmm. But four of them would really have a passion for this work. So there's nothing wrong with the 10. And they're all awesome, inspiring people. But like these four, I know they'll get fired up about it. Um, I made a decision a couple of years ago that any side projects that I was going to work on were either going to be something I was passionate about in the community um, or it was going to be a combination of music and tech. Um, And so that has helped me really focus in on the things that I want to want to be a part of. And, you know, my business partner on, uh, on wave theory, Mike mass is, is someone that's a huge inspiration to me, even though he's 10 years younger, you know, he feels like a, like a younger brother to me. And I still learn a lot from him on a day-to-day basis, but we talk about this a lot of like, man, it makes life so much easier if you do the proper self analysis and self assessment on the front end and say, is this something I really know that I'm going to be fired up about five years from now, 10 years from now? And if the answer to that is yes, based on those involuntary emotions that you're now acknowledging and recognizing, you'll put yourself in a better circumstance to be able to balance the work and have an impact. Such a great point because it sounds so simple, but I don't think most adults do that. They don't don't. think what's important to me. What am I going to be passionate about? Mm -hmm. In the future, in right. five years, in right. ten years. Do what you love. No, I think in summation, it's really about um, understanding what your capacity is. We we have times where we want to say yes to everything, 
and we want to be involved in everything in a certain way, but you got to understand what your capacity is. And capacity is something that has to get granular in order for you to be effective in understanding it. It can't just be looking at the calendar and fitting things in. I know we talked a lot about that, but um, that extra level of assessment and evaluation as to what you think you can actually do, what you think you can produce, what value you think you can add, that's extremely vital. Because if you don't do that, you might be involved with something that you're excited about that you know you can make time for, but you're participating in a lane that is not something that you necessarily think you can execute in or provide value in. Um, you know, I, I would give the example of like, uh, so my background is in project management and implementation. And if I went into on bikes and they asked me to be their marketing coordinator, well, I would have the time and the passion and the energy for it, but I'd be terrible at that role because I'm, I, haven't been schooled in marketing concepts and um, never been very good at promoting certain things. You know, I've been better at the execution of, uh, of a plan and the design of a plan. And so making sure that I'm in a role where I can contribute the things that are, I'm sort of naturally good at, as opposed to being in an area where I have to admit and acknowledge I'm not that good at, because there are people who are good at those things who can supplement that effort. So I think, uh, you know, thinking that through, is really good. And the lessons that I'm still learning, like, you know, get getting more sleep and being better at making sure that I'm going to the gym every day and, and eating right and focusing on the foods that aren't going to leave me like two, three o'clock in the afternoon wanting a nap, which is most days. So I have a lot of work to do there. Um, <laughs> we all do. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I would, I would say those are the things, but make sure you got good mentors. Um, they'll teach you a lot about uh, what it's really like to be in leadership roles. And then once you're in leadership roles, you have to hold yourself accountable to your performance and the time and energy that you can put in. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Well, we have a few quick fire rapid questions for you before we let you skedaddle. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. So our I haven't first... heard of the term skedaddle in skedaddle. quite a while. <laughs> no. You're old school, from? aren't you, Ash? You're old school. Old school. All right. Cool. Okay. So... Everyone wants to know, mm-hmm. all right, if what is there one thing that you could maybe go back in time and tell your younger self? Um, what would you, what kind of information would you share? What, you, know, you gave us a lot of awesome pointers today, but maybe what's the one thing that you would tell your younger self? Oh my gosh. The one thing that I would tell my younger self is to, uh, uh, is along the lines of the Lil Dicky song, Save That Money. <laughs> like for real, save that money, save your money. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, the, to, to think about the frivolous and, uh, nonsensical investments I've made over the years, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I made a critical error early in my career that I hit a certain income point, And I thought that there was no way that I could go backwards from that, that I was only going to continue to raise that. And then I, I hit some speed bumps in my career and, you know, made some decisions that I, I, you know, I own and I live with them and they weren't all bad, but, uh, but it affected the income. It knocked the income back to a level where now I had to take steps back in my lifestyle. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so in summation, save yeah. that money and listen to that song. If you don't believe me, cause, uh, my, our friend Dave, little Dicky, uh, has some good ideas. <laughs> I'm going to listen to it now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
you, you you do a great job at figuring out, okay, these are the things that I need to focus on um, to get to be successful and to get all these things accomplished. But how do you, I feel like I have a lot of noise around me, right? There's so many things pulling you each way. How do you quiet the noise to help help focus on, okay, this is what I have to plan on the next day? Or, you know, how do you, how do you give yourself time to plan? I think it's, um, it's being extremely intentional about it. And it's, it's putting things on that calendar that say think time or planning time or scheduling time or whatever it is. And you need to block out two to three hours. So what you don't want to do is have your clear headspace focus and get organized on the things that I need to prioritize time also being under stress. Like if you say, I'm going to give myself 30 minutes to do this, mm-hmm. we're going to be stressed the whole time that if you check a text message or get distracted for a minute, it's not going to give you enough time to quote unquote plan or get organized. So th- that's what has worked relatively well for me is setting aside big chunks of uninterrupted time. Uh, kids are with Maris and and that's taken care of. And, you know, you don't have any professional responsibilities during that time. So maybe it's like a Sunday late afternoon or whatever. Sometime you don't have to be at work or or whatnot. Um, and early mornings, I think, work pretty well, too. Mm-hmm. If you can force yourself to get up and do something quick, like a yoga class or something like that, and then go have coffee, pop open your laptop for like two hours. That's a really, gosh, I love early morning yoga. Yeah. That like puts you in the right headspace, man. It really does. Absolutely. Okay. One last question. Okay. If you could go back and change one thing out of your life, would you, and what would it be? So, uh, I think before I had kids, I would look back and I would have real deal regrets about the way that I handled certain situations or certain decisions that I made. Um, I remember one time sitting at a, uh, a sorority event that I was with, with a friend at, when I was at Georgia Southern and it happened like two weekends before the end of the semester and I was already registered in my classes for FSU. And so I literally was going to take like a Saturday, Sunday in a couple of weeks from then and start my classes at Florida state. And I was sitting there and I sat down at a table and, uh, there was, there was an assistant coach on the basketball team named Jimmy. I forget his last name. He was a really, really nice guy. And he happened to be, um, dating a senior at this sorority and happened to be at the table that we were at. And he's like, oh, man, what's up? I've been trying to contact you. I hadn't seen you lately or whatever, because I had gone through a little stretch where I was like in, in the walk on space at Georgia Southern trying to play Division one basketball. And uh, and I was um, had made it past a few of the cuts and I was actually practicing with the team and scrimmaging with them. And then I just kind of stopped because it didn't seem like it was going anywhere. And there was really talented players. And I didn't think I, I could um, have a shot to be impactful. So he was like, man, we've had some injuries. We've had some grade things. If you want to stick around this semester, you still have eligibility. I can get you on the team in time for the latter half of the season. This was right before like uh, winter break. I can get you onto the team for the latter half of the season and you can play in the conference tournament. And like, and that, that was the dream for me. And I thought I had already, like I already given up on it and already aligned, you know, uh, uh, signed up for classes at FSU was moving on with my life. And I was like, wow, I, what I say to him right now, is me either being a division one basketball player and always having that on my resume or not. 
and I had some drinks with him and we hung out the whole night and I, I, you know, he gave me his number. He's like, just reach out, man, in the next couple of days and, and I'll get you a uniform and you're in. And, and I thought about it for a second and I decided to go ahead and just follow through with what my plan was and, and go to FSU and start this, this technology major. And sometimes I would look back and I would say, damn, I really wish I had done that. Just thinking about what I would have learned right. in those, in, in that practice environment with that instruction and how that would have, the fact that I still love to play ball here 20 years later, uh, and maybe 15 years later, I don't know. I won't talk about yours anymore. I can't <laughs> um, but, uh, but that's something I look back on or used to look back on, but you know what? Some of the best friends I have in my life right now that I will always be friends with, I made in my first semester at FSU. Oh, yeah. And who knows if I would have ever even crossed paths with those folks, right. um, had I not, made the decision to go right then. And so I wouldn't trade any of those relationships for, for anything in the world. Right. Uh, and then also any decision you may have made in the past can dramatically alter your path. And if you have kids, the thought of you not ending up in a place where these two children are my babies mm-hmm. is fucking terrifying to me. Yeah. So I wouldn't change. I mean, the decisions I can tell you right now that were not the right ones for what my goals were at the time. Mm-hmm. But it, it led me on that track. And I think I, I have such comfort with that now, with not having regrets and being able to really look forward and think, uh, think about the present and the future because I got my babies and they're everything. Yes, I love that. You know, we want to thank you to the Wave, the Tampa Bay Wave, for letting us use their space. Yes, Path Career Partners for you know helping us make this happen Mm -hmm. by having us here today. And um, you know, thank you, Ned, and and everyone who supported us. Until next time, babes, live bold and boss up. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crushell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.